Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Supported by thegeldedend.com. To browse and buy vintage lead shirts, player-signed prints, and classic memorabilia, go to thegeldedend.com. The Square Ball. By the fans, for the fans, since 1989. To buy the magazine, read the blog, and to download the podcast, visit thesquareball.net. New things make us happy, and after beating Everton, we have new heroes to cheer and new hope for Warnock's team. With new folk in the exec boxes, even if they don't own us yet, it seems like everything is changing. But we still all hate refs. Hello, welcome along to the Square Ball Podcast, and I'm joined by the usual crew in the studio. Michael. Hello. Moscow. Hello. And Oddie. Hello. Welcome back, gents. Quick word for our uh, fanzine. We stuck issue two out against Forest. Thank you very much for buying it, if you bought it. And thank you for the 20-odd people who bought a copy last <laughs> night against Everton in the rain. It's not our, not our finest night of sales. Do you think it got home? Oh, I mean, that ink doesn't run, does it? Could do in, if it got that wet. Maybe the uh, if it got wet enough, this stray S on the cover might have run so that it looked like a B, as it we're, was we're supposed to be. Oh, we do need to apologise for the erroneous S. It's a huge typo on the cover, but we won't mention it so no one notices it. No, we do it's, that? It's, a, it's a clever play on words, just most people aren't bright enough to yeah, If you can work, work it out, out the hidden meaning behind... <laughs> Um, if, you can de- if you can decode it, you'll know all about the takeover. Yeah, keep, <laughs> keep buying, uh, keep buying the square ball because we will be sending out a code wheel with one of our later issues. So yes, all that about issue two. We'll tell you a little bit more about it later on in the podcast. Um, but in the meantime, don't forget you can buy it and subscriptions on our website. Via we should the... also, we should also. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the squareball.net. I was just wanted to welcome our new listeners to the podcast who were attracted, having come to Leeds and been welcomed at the Freshers Festival, and thought what a charming young presenter was on stage in Millennium Square and decided to uh, to, to seek out his other works. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Well, neither did you probably. I mean, who was on? Who were these acts you were introducing for the youth? They had uh, somebody called DJ Fresh. Right. I'm sure you're familiar with. I'm familiar with fresh vegetables and fresh fruit. Yep. Um, Kissy Sellout, who is a disc jockey, who was on uh, that there BBC Radio 1, Communist State. Right. And they had a man called Gentleman Johnny who's also a disc jockey. Who was your personal highlight of the day? I really enjoyed going into the dressing rooms under Millennium Square and enjoying the buffet. That was probably my favourite bit. There's, 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 there's buffet dressing not rooms and buffets yeah. under Millennium Square. Oh, it's, it's amazing. If there's like a there's a there's a sort of stone plinth at the bottom. Near the like Nelson, the war rooms. Yeah, near the Nelson Mandela uh, Gardens. One of them contains a lift. One of them contains a spiral staircase. You go under and there are no less than six dressing rooms and a kitchen a production office, lots of storage, 
bathrooms, showers, yeah. All under Millennium Square. I never knew this. That's where I'm going when the, uh, the bomb drops. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got things to clear up from the last part as well. Oh, do we? What's this? I've described them as Sinton Gate and Wilco Gate. Um, Sinton Gate is, uh, is my... Your uh, lies. My, your peddling. <laughs> my Kelvin McKenzie moment, yes. where uh, I have to uh, cry and cry and say none of it was my fault, I was misinformed. Ken's uh, going to jump on this like a, a big jumpy thing. <laughs> I, what happened was I claimed confidently last time that Andy Sinton was selected by Howard Wilkinson to play for England, uh, leaving aside the fact that Andy Sinton at that point had been dead for about 15 years. <laughs> And that Howard Wilkinson would never have picked such a uh, su- such a shower for England in the first place. And if he had, it would have played him at left back. Um, for any of Andy Sinton's family, by the way, he's, uh, <laughs> we're we, sure don't, he's we don't fine. wish to do a, a Gabby Logan on it and claim that someone's relatives have died. No, Andy Sinton's fine, and he was—I mean, he wasn't that bad a player in his day. So but yes, I was wrong. You're wrong. What happened? So was, you're going to be demanding an apology from the South Yorkshire Police? <laughs> well, if they maintained the website where I looked at Darren Anderton's name but read Andy Sinton's name. They just transposed themselves over the course of 24 hours between me reading that and then coming in here. So I apologise, but, you know, at least I thought I was right. That's something. And at least I wasn't slagging off our second greatest ever manager, saying, I don't like him because it was a bit boring. Indeed. I I never slagged off David (laughs) O'Leary. Indeed. Let's stay, listen. You wound me. Let's talk about football. This is about football. It's Howard Wilkins' legacy that you've been besmirching. Andy Sinton's legacy. (laughs) Doesn't matter who besmirches that. Let's talk about... Leave Wilco alone. Let's talk about the annual defeat to Cardiff on Saturday the 15th of September. What we expected to happen happened, didn't it really? I didn't expect Ross McCormack to be brutalised by his former teammates. It was worse, yeah, it was worse than... I expected, because I thought we'd just get out of there with a straight old defeat, but instead we've lost our best player. But it's what? always nice to see Craig Bellamy. Favourite of this podcast. Did, yeah. did I really say that? It, it was like American football with special teams. It's like, oh, we got free kick, we'll just bring on our goal kicker, let him whack him in the net, and they didn't have to our do anything about for anything. Goal kicker. Yes, yes, the necklace dwarf. Just not bloody fair. <laughs> uh, who did we have on the bench? I mean, we had to bring on bloody Luke Varney in place of Ross McCormack, who was so bad that we ended up taking him off again. <laughs> Speak to Oddie about Luke Varney, this, his tip for this year's top scorer. That's right, get in. <laughs> Stuck the mortgage on that one, did you? It's a slow burner, <laughs> stick with it. <laughs> It'll come into form. Uh, we really struggled to keep the ball in this one, didn't we? It was another case of uh, conceding possession too easily. Despite Austin's best efforts. I, I, I think this will be marked as the game where I, I first fell in love with him, actually. He's, he's just charging off people off the ball and general aggressive tackling was was a thing of beauty. And it, and he should have really gone further because the ref clearly was determined not to book anyone for about the first 40 minutes. There was there were about five or six tackles they put in, which probably should have been yellows, one or two that were borderline reds. Um, and he, he was just quite happy not to book anyone. Didn't he eventually get booked for just shoving somebody over? Yeah. yeah. A completely unthreatening, non-injuring kind of challenge. The other thing that can't be stressed enough about this match is that he got an early plane home from Jim, well, from USA in the end to play in it. International weekend, Leeds got a, a match at the on the Saturday and Neil Warnock had been saying, not sure if uh, Rodolph will be able to, to perform. He just goes and he hijacks a plane straight back to Leeds. Yeah, I had a vision of him putting a gun to the, uh, to the pilot's head saying, Fly me back. <laughs> that plane that crashed into uh, Emmerdale. He just <laughs> walked out of the flames straight to uh, straight to Ninian Park, as was straight onto the pitch. And st- so, yeah, he's um, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. 
A bit of a shame about the penalty, bit of inexperience shining through from Leeds. Yeah, it's just, it was harsh. It was a penalty, but at the same time, it was nothing. Let's move on. So with Ross McCormack dead, uh, we move on to the whole game. Andy Sinton, Ross McCormack. (laughs) Who else can we kill off? We've got quite a casualty toll coming up. Uh, Tuesday, the 18th of September, the banana skin, Hull at home, uh, losing 3-2 to to those lot. Just abject misery, pretty much, this one. We were maybe looking for the bounce back after Cardiff, and it didn't really come. The first first 15 minutes, minutes, yeah. Well, let's just talk about those. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the um the tension surrounding uh, Becchio finally getting to take a penalty. I thought that there was absolutely no chance he was going to score that. Because do you remember the glory days when he used to fight with Snodgrass and Beckford about who was going to take a penalty? And it was like school kids. The one with Snodgrass was particularly distasteful. Um, and then and then this one, as soon as it was a penalty, he went got the ball and he was like holding it to his chest, make sure nobody can get off him. And I was expecting him to try and. Little little jink over the keeper or something like that. No, safe finish, bottom corner. I was unhappy when I saw him stood with it, but then I looked around the pitch and thought, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, probably the best man. <laughs> oh, don't let him, don't let him take it. Hang on. Oh, never mind. Got to give it to Rudolph. Just hit it straight through the goalkeeper. <laughs> too, da- too, too dangerous. Stand. Not just too, the goal. Too dangerous. <laughs> He's not. If he struck a ball that close to goal. It's the keeper, it's, it's game you'd, over. You'd get yeah. like a, a cartoon-style hole in the stomach, wouldn't you, when the ball just goes straight through. There's very much a case of Hull controlling midfield in this game, which felt like back to the old ways a little bit. Because we didn't have one. Yeah, there is that. Much. I kind of like, did he play against Cardiff? I can't remember. When did Tung turn up? I think he did. Tung has gradually grown on me. He looks better than Brown. And He's not played for a while. Yeah, taking that into account. So he's fresh. Another another slow burner. Well, no, he's he's (laughs) the absolute opposite of fresh because there was a point in the whole game, and I think it's what led up to their um, second goal, was where he was um, chasing a player from midfield and it was just he was running backwards while their averagely paced midfielder sprinted away from him. Apart from that, fairly neat and tidy. But yeah, he did did claim an assist for one of their goals as well, didn't he? I'm sure he, he laid it square across his own box. Is that the one where he kind of booted it at Lee's? Or they, were, they yeah, both took he, a swing? Yeah. He kind of went to clear it and then shat himself. So he just said, just sort of trickled it to, the, to his left instead. Okay, so he's crapping this, but he's he's got better since. I don't know. I'm, I'm not minding Tong. He's not he's not on my hate list yet. It was nice to see that young lad get his first goal for Leeds, wasn't it? No. What's, what's his name? He's got a bright future. Yeah. I'd, I'd left by then, actually. I was uh, texting someone on the way home. Like, oh, Andy Gray scored. Oh. Never mind. First goal for Leeds, at least, what is it, 15, 16 years after his debut? Good to see. He waited almost as long as Billy Painter for his uh, his debut goal. The the disappointing aspect of this, apart from losing, was the Hull City fans letting off a flare at 2-1 and then not having a backup flare for 3-1, <laughs> I think says a lot about their low expectations of a shit football team. And we were also privileged to see the tiger raw. Yeah, well, because that's all they had left. Yeah. Nobody pause. Nobody yeah. thought to bring two flares, so they were left there with their meow meow mold. I have heard that flare, flares are all the rage in Hull. <laughs> Very fashionable these days. There was that, and there was also, but at least um, they Badoosh. were almost um, outsung by uh, that little south stand posse of uh, people who got all their tickets in the southeast corner to uh, a protest against Bates and b to sing some of our songs properly. Proper pace of uh, We Are The Champions, Champions of Europe. No clapping. No clapping. And it went in, they didn't stop as well, even when there was an incident on the pitch. And, you know, often things will be distracted by, uh, oh, Varney's had a shot. 
and then it stopped. Nope, just ignored it and kept on trucking. So that was, uh, they deserve a little hat tip. Interesting crowd reaction to Varney as well. It's been a while since I've heard one of these, where a player's number goes up and there's a there was a slight ripple of, of wee, and I, I, I sort of did a slight cringe. I thought, yeah. ooh. Already? Yeah. Because I've slagged him off no end on him, and... So everyone, anyone will listen. But actually making that step to thinking, yay, he's going. <laughs> it's worth dwelling for a moment before because the, the next two games are obviously much better. But we were dire. Varney was awful. A.D. White, I don't know what had happened to him. There was a, one moment where he watched the ball descend from the sky and he had about 30 seconds to think about how to head it and it just hit the side of his face. <laughs> and I think due force oh, on no, this game... Oh, no, engaged his brain, oh, God. I, I came away from this game pretty annoyed with Juve looking like he just wasn't really doing anything that was worthwhile. What a penalty. Yeah, but even then, I mean, that was, it wasn't really the most nailed on And anyone would think seen. you wanted him to fail. No, not at all. Um, I, it, it was... Um, in a bad team performance, he didn't distinguish himself. But then when we've got the two games that are succeeding this... Well, yes, this teed it up very much to be quite a depressing, potentially depressing afternoon at Ellen Road um, on Saturday, wasn't it, against Forest? Everyone thinking, oh God, they've had the takeover, they've spent money on players, we could be in for a bit of a pasting. But, lo and behold, we pulled one out of the bag. We also had the hype surrounding um, Ken's one o'clock... State nation address. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That helps focus your mind on the game ahead, doesn't it? I hope the players weren't shown that point at the end of his video. Sinister. And you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) uh, Talk to me about the characteristics of this game then. Warnock. (laughs) Expand on that. That's how you sum this game up in one word. Warnock. Battling. Gritty. Yeah. You got... um, Becchio's goal was, like all his goals so, so far this season, pretty much just sort of forced home. Bounced off his knee and his shin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a decent finish, I thought. Oh, it was a yeah. decent finish, but look at the build-up. We're yeah. just we're just forcing the ball home. And attrition, then, attrition, attrition. Rash, and then, rash, rash. And then Polion again, just like, there's a loose ball that didn't hit it particularly well, but it went in and then went racing off. Great assist from Becchio as well on Polion's yeah. goal. Where yeah. he, he kind of looked like a stranded uh, centre-back who'd found himself up front. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same as his uh, assist for McCormack against um, Blackburn, where he just completely missed the header, but the Blackburn player missed <laughs> yeah. it as well. And then it's a flick on. So we had all that. And then from that point on, I mean, I'm pretty sure we were time-wasting from <laughs> half an hour onwards. Um, but it was great, but it was it was good time-wasting. And um, <clears throat> Austin in particular... At one point towards the end of the game, I think there might have been about a quarter of an hour to go, and he just got the ball in the centre circle and just head down, charged at the <laughs> yeah. corner flag with yeah. the ball. Nobody was going to get it off him. He's just pushing people left and right Throwing out of his way. women and children out of the way. Yep, yeah. just get to that corner flag and then keep it there. And uh, <laughs> half t- Just coming up to half-time. <laughs> and then I'm sure, I mean, there was nothing wrong with Paddy Kenny. There was no reason for Tom Lees to be taking his he, goal he kicks. injured the other, uh, last not, night, you might remember. Well, we were just giving Ashdown a, uh, an airing. No, I don't. I don't believe for one second that Pad, that anything is wrong with Paddy Kenny. I think that was. Uh, I may be wrong. I'm probably wrong. I think Andy Sinton instructed him. Moscow, the grave. Moscow. Mm. We need to talk about El Hadjouf. Yes, we do, don't we? And this leads us very nicely into last night's performance, Sterling performance, star turn, 
match-winning performance, Premier League performance from one El Hadj Duf. Well, he turns it on on the telly, doesn't he? <laughs> I, I should say, by the way, because uh, we're starting to get a bad rap for your hatred of uh, El Hadj Duf, because you've been the most outspoken against him, and we're all sort of getting the finger pointed at us for disliking him as much, whereas I just kind of kept an open mind about him. Generally. I've always loved him. Yeah. If you look at the things I, I, dis- as well. I dislike him for, I, think, I don't think I'm necessarily on the wrong side of that fence. No, I think in terms of characteristics and personality and his previous actions, some of which are fairly despicable, mm-hmm. but in terms he of... He gave a shirt to a disabled child on the weekend. Yeah. Well, that makes up for it all then, doesn't it? <laughs> he's been a professional footballer for 15 years and he's got more than one shirt. No, well, my position was always that the loving as soon as he arrived was unseemly and we had to wait for him to actually do something in a lead shirt before kissing his ass. I mean, the first couple of games where he'd done absolutely nothing and remember the Blackburn game where he was an absolute disgrace and Warnock was talking about subbing him off at half time so that Peltier would actually get some help and yet still he got a tap in and then he goes and takes a corner and the whole ground yeah. is like welcoming a hero. But it's just, it's just, he's an anti-hero. That's the thing, isn't it? And and we are very much a backs to the wall, hated club. And we tend to get behind these sorts of characters because everyone hates them. I think he's fine as well when he's not playing in midfield. If he's if he's kind of up front and or a bit behind Becchio, as he has been the last couple of games, he's fine because he doesn't, he's not expected to track back. Say so if he's you, replacing Tong in the hole. Yeah, for example. Now, now. Yeah. Please. Um, but <laughs> This, That's this, throwing you off, hasn't it? Now? This is, <laughs> we are not Viz. Yeah, sorry, anyway. I, was, I interrupted everyone's train of thought there with my I mean, no, he, he's, he's clearly a good player now. Yeah. I think we've, we've got to admit that because I think when we first brought him up on the podcast, there was some debate of whether or not he was actually good enough, and he is. He'd done nothing for a long time. He was the good thing, He was good against Forrest, and then I think last night was his perfect storm where he's got, it's on TV, and he's got, He's playing in the position he wants to play. Against Everton, and of course. It's against well. Everton who yeah. were giving him shit the whole time and you could see him kind of clapping their fans. And Kissing them. Giving them little gestures and all the time, which concentrate on the game, El Hadj. But no, I mean, <laughs> I've been asked, I, I'll, I haven't responded to him on, on Twitter yet because frankly, I've been busy. Um, can we but, just, just for the... Uh, for the just a second before on. you go any further. It's worth pointing out for the benefit of the listeners here that you've brought this on a written notepad. Right, you're discussing something on Twitter which you could have just looked at on your phone, you could have favourited it and then just looked on your phone. But I've no. had to turn it off because we're in a studio and because we had to bin a whole podcast for people looking on their phones. It need I remind you, Mr Moylan. Anyway, he's uh, written it with his quill and here is Moscow's uh, tweet. From his, just... book is, from his book of petty grievances which no, he carries with him. It's not grievances at all. No, um, South East Corner and Claire Healy and Jackos all asked in the last um, 24 hours if my opinion of Juford changed and... I have not had time to reply, which is rude of me. And so rather than leave them dangling, I thought I would reference them here and say... Fire another medium. Fire a different medium. Well, I can tweet them later when I've got a chance. But um, since they asked, um, yes, my opinion of him has changed because things have happened to make my opinion of him change. He looks like he might actually be a good player for us now. The test will be the upcoming games that aren't on telly and aren't against Everton and aren't as what about keyed up. Was Forrest on telly, actually? No, it wasn't on there telly. There you go, he played really yeah, well in that. He did, got the two assists for Becchio. It's and, a red hair uh, in this telly thing you're talking about. Well, we'll wait and see. Let's move on. We take your general point, so yeah. let's move on from uh, from El Hadjouf and talk about the rest of them. We, again, we feared another pasting, didn't we? Which could have been horrible on the telly. You know, reminiscent of the Man U 3-0 game from last year. But 
again, lo and behold, rabbit out the hat. We did it. And we did and it really, really, performance. we did it yeah. really, really well. But not only a typical Warnock performance, but there was some really good football in there too, I yeah. thought. Was with it? the reserves as well. It was the best, it was the best football we've played this season. A.D. White's goal was the best football we've played Wait, this yeah. season. Was, no one was expecting that. No. He's looked awful on the right. I don't think and he, he was expecting that. He's never looked like scoring a goal for us. If you actually take, look at the, the, the factors in this, you've got, A.D. White pulled out this stellar performance. Turned it to John Barnes. Yeah, from the, wrong, <laughs> from the wrong side of the pitch. You've got uh, Tong looking very, very sharp. Brown with the legs of a titan, just running around like a madman. And Danny Pugh, who effectively scored. The axis of evil, the brown <laughs> Pugh axis of evil. <laughs> I saw it on the team sheet and it was fine. I, was I really all, was worried when I second, saw it. The second goal was really odd because I went, um, although I've been ribbing Michael about going to Bolton and doing a corporate thing next week. I went corporate last night. I was in the East Stand Upper. You sicken me. Oh. You sicken me. Free stuff. He's great. <laughs> Pig. Um, so where we were, we couldn't quite see uh, the TV screen. Um, so when... Presumably you had a, a glass of Puyli Fume in your hand, yeah. just blocking it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Was the waitress blocking your view of the telly? But do That's move right. aside, darling. <laughs> move aside. <laughs> so Pew had taken the shot and we thought Pew would score because it looked to go straight in. And then they called out if uh, Austin has scored. And we thought, surely not. He's, he's white. That's no one. <laughs> That's no Austin. What are you doing, man? <laughs> but yeah, it was and it was good. I liked his celebration. It was me, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I did that. Not I him. That not him. Minute as well. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really good. But yeah, a great performance. And even Ash down at the back, um, you know, you, yeah. you think about... Very confident. Yeah, you think about Rahubka and his, uh, what you described as Vaseline on his gloves, Michael. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just amazing seeing him. A substitute goalkeeper come in and play like someone who's played in net before. I did Whereas think... Whereas Rehubka uh, looked like he, he'd quite literally plucked from the crowd and told to, to do his best. <laughs> with um, Brown and Pugh in the team together, I think putting Rehubka on the bench was almost tempting fate. Mm. It seemed to me like too much... Too too many risks at once, but I, I guess Colin knows what he's doing. I bet, I bet the whole reason why we've had these storms over the north for the last... Uh, what feels like three weeks is entirely due to uh, Neil Warnock's rain dancing, <laughs> bringing together the perfect conditions for him to unleash Brown and Pew. I'm going to get tactical on your ass now oh, um, no. and just mention um, Rudy Austin and say that it's something that Amitai Winehouse brought up when we spoke to him on the phone when he'd watched the US-Jamaica games, that Austin was playing in a more advanced position. And obviously he did that last night and he seemed to dominate midfield. He, he plays everywhere. Yeah, he wasn't intimidated by anyone, was he? But you, obviously you had the ex- axis of evil behind him, but he just seemed to just run the show in the middle of the park. And he was he was everywhere, wasn't he? Getting in people's faces, good and passing. you can't shake him off the ball either. No. Just awesome. So often he doesn't actually have to tackle anyone either. He just runs, yeah. ne- he just runs next to them <laughs> until they, they give it up. Well, he seems as well to get away with some tackles that I'm not convinced other players would. He goes in really hard on some players and you're thinking, Is that's going to be a free kick. Uh, but the referee, I don't know if he's just too intimidated I think it's because he just gets on with things so quietly. Yeah. He doesn't, even if, if he fouls, if he is fouled, he doesn't say a word. He just gets up <laughs> and just pretends nothing's happened. And we need to uh, reference as well, while we're talking about heroes, uh, Pearson Lees, or yeah. as I call them, Terry Butcher double and paddy. Terry Butcher. Yeah. Double paddy. The double paddy at the back, yeah. I mean, I thought... Uh, it looked like Pierce's 
face had collapsed when he I have first to be appeared. honest, if, if I'd had eight stitches in my face, I would have probably been laying on a settee crying yeah. somewhere. Probably. Mm. I, I might not play out for a while after this. I'm just going to I'm gonna stay home. My mum's making me some, uh, did, um, some chicken sandwiches. Did Pierce foul him at the end of the game? I couldn't really tell from the cop. It looked a bit like he might have had hold of He definitely someone. strong armed him, but they were both at it, I think. And in the interview afterwards, he just said... No, I was diving around a bit, mate. <laughs> Which I thought I took, I took that to be the truth. Pierce is a bit yep, lively with, with his uh, tackles mm. in the penalty area. Um, we noticed this at the Shrewsbury game where at four one he just yeah, kicked a bit someone. Of a swing. Yeah. He keeps you know, sort of doing it's like this. Forest, we tripped somebody on the edge of the box. It was yeah, and it was just like a a totally blatant "I am kicking you" yeah. foul and needless um, as well. So it's, yeah, we need to mention Byram as well because I've reading the forums when I got in. Apparently, Eddie Gray was talking him up for eventual England representation at some point. And I was thinking exactly the same thing yesterday. As a full, an attacking fullback, he seems like he's got everything he needs to be the, the sort of modern, at- attack-minded player that England need. One thing that's been bothering me slightly about Byram in terms of our club as an institution is that he appears to come from absolutely nowhere. Eddie Gray says he'd never even heard his name mentioned and Eddie Gray's been at the club since 1964. <laughs> Um, Neil Warnock says nobody that you just threw him in because he was the only only <laughs> lad around. Nobody seems to have even suggested that Byron might be any good up until he suddenly appeared in the first team and is now in line for England on this. <laughs> who who's who's managing the under eighteens at the moment and is actually you know reporting on who these players it's are? Neil is in charge. Of he might have ju- he might have just turned up and snuck in. Like that fellow in the Man United thing. Do you think he's a lot? He's actually a lot older. <laughs> is it someone else? In this, is it Got Summer? Secret Ghanaian passport or something like that. I would. I would have hoped that Redders might have uh, have mentioned his name in dispatches at some point before now. But maybe, maybe he was just looking the other way for the last for his whole puberty. Well, lots of ticks in lots of boxes from last night. That's what we can say, and it shows the potential that's within this side. If we can maybe add to it with a bit more quality in January, subject to takeover, etc that we might yet end up up that top end of the league. You never know, do you? What worries me, though, is if there's no takeover in January, people will have seen Austin now and say he's dead good. And seen Tom Lees. (laughs) Well, there was um, bits during the the TV coverage last night where um, I'm sure David Moyes was turning around to his bench after Austin had done things. He was turning around like, what do we do about him? Buy him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Million quid should do it. Well, mentioning the takeover, let's move on to that now then. We'll get into part two and we'll get Phil Hay from the Yorkshire Evening Post on the phone right now. Part two of the Square Ball podcast now and I'm delighted to say we're joined by the YEP's Phil Hay. Welcome along, Phil. Evening, Dan. The important question with all this takeover business, uh, first of all, Mr Bates in his programme notes and his interview said you were a football journalist. How do you respond to that accusation? A lot of people seem surprised about that. Um, and they're a bit surprised as well to, to hear me be told that, uh, that I shouldn't be writing about finance. I, I have to be honest, I would love to be writing about football day after day, but, but given that the takeover is the biggest story in town, it, it would hardly figure if we were ignoring it completely. Um, he is right, though. I'm, I'm not a financial expert, no argument with that at all. And it, it's quite funny, actually, to see how many football writers these days are, are forced to, to swim to depths um, where they're, uh, they're rather uncomfortable and, and know very little about the, the subject matter they're dealing with. And, and it has to be said that the, the financial details and, and so on of, um, of situations like this are, are unbelievably complex. But as long as the story's there, we'll be covering it and, uh, and doing our best. Well, on to the story itself then. You mentioned this week in your, uh, in your writings about the Saudi involvement. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's... 
very complex situation and, and not at all clear at the moment. I think it, it, it seems obvious enough that, that GFH Capital Limited, the, the private equity firm from Dubai, and by association, Gulf Finance House, the, uh, the investment bank in Bahrain, who do own um, GFH Capital Limited, are, are in the box seat. Um, that was made evident by the statement released by Leeds United on Saturday. They didn't name the bank involved, but if you look at the, the mission statements and the, the details of, uh, of Gulf Finance House's strategy um, and, and compare it to what was said by Ken Bates, it isn't particularly difficult to join the dots. And the fact that, that representatives from, from both companies were at Ellen Road on Saturday and, and won again for Tuesday's uh, League Cup game against Everton pretty much let the cat out of the bag. Um, not, not that it was a great secret of, of their involvement anyway, but um, the, the big question is whether or not they're the only interested party at the table. And, and I have to be honest, I'm, I'm not convinced. Um, we were told by a, a, a several sources last week that another offer had come in from, from the Middle East. Um, although it should be said that, that Ken Bates denied that in his programme notes yesterday, said it was, was total rubbish. Um, but but certainly people seem to be indicating that. And we do know as well that, that there were Americans in the director's box at the game against Hull City recently, described to me as, as men who clearly had money. Um, who they are, we've no idea. What their intentions are, we've, we've no idea either. But there were reports over the weekend that a, a bid from the States might be, might be imminent, might well be on the way. Um, so as I say, my, my reading of this would be that, that GFH are certainly in the in the box seat, certainly leading the race. Whether or not they're the only candidates and they're the only party interested, I, I really couldn't vouch for that. Is it correct then that the Saudi, who's supposedly, maybe or not, gone solo, was the backer for GFH originally? And do, do we think that Mr Bates rubbishing the story that was in the National um, in Dubai is perhaps related to the fact that the Saudi might still be backing GFH? We don't, do we know this? The honest answer is we don't know. Um, like a lot of people, we're going on, on what we're being told by legal sources, by people who are, who are close to the deal. Um, only really Ken Bates could tell tell us for certain. Um, and to go by what he said last night, it's not the case and, and there is no offer. But certainly people I've spoken to seem to think that there is alternative interest in the Middle East, that it is being pushed by you know, by people from Saudi Arabia. And I should say that, that going back to May, uh, when the news first broke of Leeds speaking to investors, there was talk then of a, of a bid coming from Saudi Arabia. And I spoke to someone who was connected to the group uh, in that region and, and who had some insight into what they were planning. And at the time, he told me that, that, in his words, they were miles off putting a concrete bid together. But he didn't rule it out in the future. And he, he suggested that with time and, and with a bit of planning and patience, something might come. So I'm not surprised that, the, that there might be interest from there. I'm not surprised either that there might be interest from the United States because we know that, that back in May a, a group from, from North America, be it Canada or America, um, were shown around Thorpe Arches, shown around Ellen Road. Um, as far as we could tell, that interest came to nothing. Um, but, but given that that did go on, it wouldn't be a complete shock if, shock if someone from, from that neck of the woods was once again having a look. Do you think we're any closer to a conclusion? Obviously, the January transfer window is a time you would hope it would be done by. Uh, Ken's mentioned that himself. But this is really getting into silly territory now. We, in fact, when we spoke about it before on the podcast, you, you said it was getting into silly territory. Is there an end in sight? I would be astonished if this carried on until January. I, I just think if the same bid was on the table um, come the January transfer window without having been signed and without having been agreed, then it would have lost all credibility. And the, the question of why the, there was no agreement would, would just be hanging in the air like a foul smell. I, I'm surprised it's gone on this long. I, I just 
fail, and I think I would assume that everybody involved in the negotiations would agree that a, a conclusion has to come sooner rather than later, and, and very, very quickly. I, mean, I, I guess if you look at the statement that was put out on Saturday, I've said this to, to a few people, it seems like a difficult statement to step back from, um, and, and a strange thing to say if there wasn't serious expectation of this deal going through and, and I think to look at some of the tweets who've been, that have been posted on Twitter by members of GFH Capital Limited, you know, members of the senior management team there, there does seem to be a, an underlying sense of confidence that they're very close to getting their foot in the door um, and, and that in the long term they will be taking on the club in some capacity. Um, that certainly seems to be their expectation. And, you know, the, the situation is that, that everybody is essentially sitting waiting for the, the announcement to come. It, it's hard to know what can be left to discuss or, or left to negotiate or agree after four months. And, you know, you, the January transfer window is going to be crucial and, and equally critical, I think, is the, the team's ability to hang in until that point. You know, I mean, they're, they're quite an obvious shortage of players. If they do and there's money available in January, then, then they'll have any every chance. But as I say, if we're at that point and then there is no deal agreed, it's hard to see how this particular takeover offer could possibly have any legs. Brilliant, Phil. Thank you very much for the update. We appreciate that. No worries, Dan. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate. Bye. So those are the words of Phil Hay, chaps. Um, how do we all feel about the takeover now? <sighs> Bored. Confused. And tired. <laughs> yeah. Jaded, I think, is the overall feeling now, isn't it? It's dragged on for far, far too long. And especially now that somebody has reanimated Bates. Because I'd kind of forgotten over the summer how nice it was not to have him on the radio once a week being belligerent and slagging. And while we had that period of away games as well, I thought, ah, nothing, nothing out coming out of the club except some uh, misspelt news reports about Tom Lee's CD collection. That's all absolutely fine. But now we're just back into this again. And it's like, that was one of the things he hoped we could leave behind. And we will leave behind when uh, the face is even... do it. <laughs> yeah. Is all this just nonsense from the chairman? But... Um, do you but, think he's turned into like a Father Jack character, almost? I think he's, he's long Father since Jack been was that, funny. He? <laughs> uh, well, he had a lot to say in his programme notes over the last two games, the Everton and the Forest programmes. Well, we, we, we got a video interview. And, yes, and his sinister YouTube pointy appearance. <laughs> For someone who's supposedly not bothered by the Supporters Trust and this so-called noisy minority, he's had an awful lot to say about them, hasn't he? Yeah, that advert didn't get to him at all. Just goes to show, if anybody wants uh, to... to um, aggravate an old man just take out an advert outside his front door <laughs> yeah. it works like a charm yeah the uh, I mean the stuff on Saturday it was annoying because at one o'clock well the first they ramped it up so much through Yorkshire Radio and Twitter and everything that one o'clock became this incredible deadline for a huge announcement and then in the way it was structured as well he said I've got something to tell you about the takeover and you're thinking right here we go and goes, but first, and then you've just got three well, minutes you know, of irrelevant I was, I was rubbish. I say, as, as somebody who obviously now has employment in the radio industry, it, it's the sort of lowest common denominator tease is mm. that just to keep people listening. It's shameless. And what he actually had to say about the takeover was precious little, really. Oh, um, no, he patronised them slightly. Yeah. I, I said, how many customers have you got? 3,000. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got 150,000. How often do you speak to them? <laughs> I speak to them every day, whether they like it or not. <laughs> the weird thing, on the one hand, he was ramping them up, saying that they're international business people who 
who will have banks in every country. And then on the other hand, he's saying that they don't know how to deal with the level of customers that he deals with. And secondly, that as soon as he gets a little bit hot in Bahrain, they all have, they all run for the poles because <laughs> they can't do any business anymore. And apparently that's one of the delays. Well, yeah, the, so we got the time zones as reading for the delay, London lawyers creating <laughs> logistical problems. And, uh, wow, they're a whole 200 miles away from Leeds. And then the me. climate in the Middle East. The problem is that now, nowadays there's no way of quickly transferring messages. There's no way of doing it. So <laughs> Carrier pigeon on. You, can, it, see, you yeah. can see where the issues come. Um, well, listen, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. We could sit here and take the piss out of Ken's ridiculous reasoning okay. all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's the end of tonight's podcast. Yeah. No, um, moving on to the other stuff, there's quite a lot of interference seems to be being run at the minute because you've got... Duncan Castles, who's known to get information from the Bates camp, he's never denied it. I've asked him directly, and he's as good as said outright, yes, he's getting it from there and other places, so he says. Did he say that in a DM, perchance? Yes, a DM on Twitter. He does love his Twitter direct messages. He does, but um, obviously you've had Ken, who's said his story was incorrect, stopped short of naming Castles. Um, so we have these you know, three parties, as Phil Hay was sort of referring to, these, these ethereal three parties, the American, the Saudi, and GFH, and we don't know... This, this money that GFH seems to have put into the club, will they want it back? It's, it's gone. It's all, Kiss yeah. that goodbye. <laughs> it's all getting, it's getting murky and it, it seems to be deliberate obfuscation. That's my word for today. It all seems also it's like stuff we could really do without knowing. I mean, the one good thing for the period of confidentiality um, when nobody was saying anything was we didn't have to worry about all this shit. Is it not a case, though, that as soon as this has been brought into the public arena, that it all has to, to a degree, play out in the public arena? And part of the reasoning for bringing it into the public arena was so that we could counter the statement from Bates that there's nobody interested in Leeds United. And as soon as we've gone through the looking glass in that respect, it's public now and it needs to be played out in public to a degree. Yes. Good. I would agree with you (laughs) there. It's just, it is aggravating at the moment. There's, There's nothing really coming out that doesn't, make you just want it to be over at the moment. And if GFH end up losing four million quid, well, I don't care. <laughs> no, I know you don't. I, I just sort of I, I just don't want... care either, but I would equally prefer Ken didn't have that money. Yeah. Because he's had yeah. enough of our, of our money over the years. Now he's got someone else's money. I dare say no, I can't say that about the Irish bank. But <laughs> some money went missing from an Irish bank years ago. I'm just saying money's gone. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, he's got <laughs> And it, I think it, the phrase uh, "unsecured loan" is uh, <laughs> a, a sweeter, a sweeter, simpler, swifter conclusion would be handy. And I don't know, And then the Everton stuff. I mean, the Everton program notes, which we didn't even mention in the context of his. Uh, Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Weekends, ramblings. I mean, it's our uh, People Collect programs. And with a glory night like last night, I can imagine you could probably sell your uh, your program from last night on eBay for a ridiculously inflated price like, I don't know, £4. And when you buy this collector's item and, you you know, occasionally you're going to take it out of its protective uh, wrapper and uh, away from where you have kept it filed in alphabetical order and you're going to just flick through it and see what was in the program on that momentous occasion and you're going to have him ranting on about the... Um, ridiculous accusations against well not even accusations well, for me, he just said some stuff about Gary Cooper chairman of the trust that he said he once held an opinion I, in I've the heard 90s. that he hates disabled people doesn't he hate disabled people well I was going to say last night for me well all I'll take from the game is the image of Gary Cooper walking down the sideline and tipping people out of wheelchairs because <laughs> that's that's what happened I saw it with my own eyes Which, and I think everyone else did that's so, just a big bully yeah which is where we came in where we said if you want to get get to somebody Ken's claims that he doesn't care and that it's all water off a duck's back. The fact that three columns out of four in his program inches last night were all personal untruths regarding Gary Cooper and LUST, and then dragging the disabled organisation into it. Who beautifully, it didn't take very long for um, a joint statement rebuked. to come out and yeah. just say. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing to do with that and there are no problems between the Trust and Ludo, as there are very few problems between Leeds fans, apart from when we're arguing about what our owner says. So in summary, we are essentially battle-weary and want this to finish. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. One way or a bloody another, just finish. So from one divisive, controversial figure, we'll move on to talk about something different and talk about Alan Smith. I thought, I thought this was going to be Kevin Blackwell getting the uh, getting <laughs> well, a new job. Well, we'll talk about Smith in a second. Let's mention that because he has. He's at Bury now, isn't he? Which is actually where David Healy is. So David Healy would better get accustomed to the wings. <laughs> Tricky winger. Is yeah. that where he ended up? Because he was um, angling for a move back to Preston and I didn't realise he'd got the close. Bury, yeah. <laughs> They're only about six miles Playing apart, white. Wrong, wrong turn off on the motorway. Is this, some chalk dust on your boots. <laughs> this is how long has Blackwell been out of work for? Long enough to know. Hasn't he been getting qualifications? They could have been at university all this time. Football was, university. I thought he arrived at Leeds as as the world's most qualified coach. You can yeah, but you can never have too many quali- you know, maybe he's running the coaching courses now. I don't know. Maybe he's just gone there to get an MVQ in events management or something. Maybe <laughs> none of his new qualifications are actually football related. Looking after the catering department as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so anyway, on to Alan Smith at McDonald's. Who is, I mean, we moved straight from Bates to Smith also. He's got a bit of a beard coming and the shape of his face. I think if you look at Alan Smith when he's uh, 80, <laughs> if his teeth all go as well, you can picture him giving interviews when he's chairman of MK Dons. <laughs> you. <laughs> so yeah. tell, tell me about this interview. Uh, he sort of shed a little bit of light on his, on his career, hasn't he? One... Interesting thing was uh, 
Um, apparently an old friend from Leeds told him, when you retire from football, Alan, no one will say you were a nice person or a bad person. They'll just forget about you. <laughs> and that, that appears to have been some of these... That uh, was a mo- friend. Yeah, that's... He's, <laughs> Including he's me. That. I won't want to know you when you retire from football. <laughs> he's used that as motivation to uh, to improve himself. Now he's just going on about his shattered leg. Stop whining. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's interested. He did in mention that it effectively ended his career, didn't he? In this well, he said that um, he said that coming back from that injury is probably his greatest achievement in football. Which I think, as a Leeds fan, is just yet another kick in the teeth from this <laughs> scum-loving wanker. Because everything he did for Leeds was more significant than him coming back from a slight strain of the whatever was wrong with him—a twisted ankle. I'm exaggerating for comic effect, obviously. Although. Uh, yeah, I remember when he did break that leg, and do you remember when he, was it? David Ellery was the referee for that, and he kind of put his arms out to him like a like a stranded baby sitting on the floor, going, "Mama!" <laughs> but all he got was uh, David Ellery, <laughs> and there was a, there was a twinge at that point where he'd kind of go, "God, I bet that hurt," and then the next thought was, "Good." <laughs> <laughs> he rather he rather generously refers to MK Dons as being a young club as well, which. I would say stolen. They're not a new club that started up from nowhere. Well, you mentioned David Ellery there, so that teases up very, very nicely indeed for part three, which we'll do in just a second. The Square Ball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. Into part three now of the Square Ball Podcast, and we want to talk about referees because we understand it's a long-held tradition. We only get shit refs, and we've had quite a few this year, haven't we, really? This season's been notable in the few games so far not just for crap refs with their obviously instinctive and then uh, reinforced by their training hatred of Leeds <laughs> um, but being crap for the other teams as well I think both the Blackburn and Forest games both managers came out for us and we were just like nobody understands what this clown's problem was I also want to criticise the linesman in the Forest game who had um, <laughs> he had a kind of Hitler youth haircut <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't you didn't notice it, Moscow. What? Would... Just just describe Wait, that for, for the untrained eye. Just kind of a, a side parting, but then shaved round the sides. Toothbrush moustache. He didn't have a moustache, but I, I feel like he was probably did have one. But he was He'd told be giving the game away. He was maybe told just lose them. You can keep the hair, but just lose the moustaches. <laughs> You've gone too far. Well, the Forest game, we actually had a big name referee in. Um, and it's also, it's had letters um, removed by an apostrophe because Andy Durso. What do you think's missing from Andy Durso? I'm sure you've done this before. Don't really. <laughs> anyway, so I was surprised that he was he was actually the the referee, but there was a guy sat a few rows behind me and Ozzy who spent most of the game every time there was a bad decision from the ref and there was the usual people standing up and yelling and getting angry. Then just when it died down, you'd hear you cheat, Durso. <laughs> and it, it kept it was always along those lines. It, it, you always wait and you just hear Durso. Cheats, <laughs> and I want. I'd never did look round, but I expected him to be. I couldn't work out if he was um, actually a Leeds fan or if it was kind of a, a real life version of the comic book guy from The Simpsons, who's who'd made it his life <laughs> just to find out where Andy Durso was refing that weekend, and then go there and just get get a seat near enough to the pitch where he could sit. I mean, people say the East End is uh, new and magnificent. It doesn't actually have armrests, but if it did, he maybe get a Chesterfield on there for himself and just, you cheat, Durso, Durso cheat. That's all, all we have. But I, I didn't believe it was actually him. I thought that might be have been his like slang phrase for all referees, just refer to them all as 
as Durso, Durso as, a, as a genre, like a Durso of referees. Well, let's go back in time and talk about the evil triumvirate of referees that we've suffered at the hands of. We, well, Durso is one of them. Well, go but he's mild. His, his crimes against Leeds United are mild. It's not what this guy reckons. No, in no. comparison... So he knows his stuff, that guy. The, the knows evil his, trio. Well, we'll he put knows this, his Durso. We put this out to Twitter and Facebook, didn't we? And overwhelmingly, the response was dominated by references to Tinkler, West Brom, 1971. Shocking stuff. Christos, I can't pronounce this surname, but it's Michas? Mich- Michas. Mikas. Mi- Mi- the other one we can't pronounce. The Greek fella from yeah. uh, the final in Salonika in 1973, the Cup Winners' Cup final against Milan. And of course, the European Cup final in 1975. I'll let somebody else say this, but we've obviously covered him in depth, didn't we, a couple of seasons back. Kitabjian? Fuckface. Yeah. <laughs> Where's awesome. Wayne when we need him? Yes, if you if you want your uh, commemorative Kitabjian t-shirt, thebeatingeneration.co.uk, I think he's still got some in his loft underneath some old copies of Viz. <laughs> and it also, you can get a back-issue story of uh, of that guy if you look through some old square balls when Wayne discovers that, uh, that the image that he put on the T-shirt of, of him, uh, bore a, a shocking resemblance to him in real life, even though we'd never seen him. We go back to the, the Tinkler incident, and obviously the, it's made even more famous by the commentary. Was it Barry Davis who did that, actually? And Leeds have every right to be annoyed. You know. No, they've gone mad, and yeah. they've every right that, to go there mad. There you go. That's the, and then the, the guy, gets sent, guy gets arrested. A guy in a suit <laughs> gets arrested. That's class, is that? It's um, one of the Facebook comments we got was from Roger Nicholson, who says, uh, with Ray Tinkler, and he also mentions Morris Fussy, which is a fantastic name for a referee. I'm sure David Coleman spent a lot of time talking about Morris, the fussy referee. But he says with them, it was every single match. And Roger says, I reckon the famous Tinkler decision was not as bad as we made it out to be, because he'd been doing it for years. Leeds fans were convinced it was premeditated. Also mentioning um, Fussy, someone who was very close to... To all of these incidents, Dave Cocker, who is the son of Les Cocker, Burns, Fussy, Mikas, Kitabjan, Thomas, seen as ripped off by a lot of them live and at the games. So there's a man who's who's faced it all. I, I remember being told growing up as well by my dad that Leeds had suffered so many injustices, and you know you, you think back to well, for example, another one that's been been brought up: the Wes Brown own goal being disallowed. Who do we know whose crime that was? Ben Gershaw. He he's we put this out on Facebook, and he's pretty much. Given us a comprehensive catalogue of, he's like Moscow. He clearly has a book of grievances. He's brought us one from more or less every season from 2000, 2001, which when it was um, Graham Barber and the assistant disallowing a last minute goal against Scum when it it was actually a Wes Brown own goal, which would have made a, such an enormous difference to our entire history. <laughs> yes, Peter Ridsdale's whole. We wouldn't have plans if it wasn't for this. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have had any of it. I mean, who knows? Who knows what would have happened much later in the season anyway? No. So Graham Barber, he's top of the list. But what I was going to say was, can you remember how furious you were seeing that? And then you think what it must have been like to, you know, in, in cup finals, in the European Cup final, well, the European, the- and the league championship deciding fixtures, and we were ripped off and cheated so badly. Imagine how furious. Have you we have only been. seen one side of this? Are there? Is there an Arsenal podcast somewhere where they're talking about that decision that went against them in 72 or anything? I don't think there is. No, we haven't really we have, benefited. We haven't benefited, have we, as far as I'm aware? Someone might be able to point one out where we... Yeah, people say these things balance themselves out. That's bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> Give it Never. time. Give it time. I can remember being a little bit older than you guys, as you quite clearly point out every <laughs> fucking week. Um, I can remember the 75 European Cup final being nine years old at that point. Work it out, kids. <laughs> Um, and just being totally gutted that we'd clearly scored a goal. We were just clearly robbed. And just knowing from that point on, 
we were we were almost like a team that just people hated as a nine-year-old. I imagine, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it felt a little bit like when Gaza got booked in the 1990 semi-final of the World Cup, but on a grander scale because it was Leeds. And Gaza deserved that booking. That was a yellow card. It was, yeah. (laughs) The big crybaby. Well, there is, when you can see that it is outright total injustice, there's then the concept of sport turns to ashes in your mouth. And um, at least in the uh, the Tinkler days, you could actually run on the pitch in your wide lapel suit and <laughs> and get in his face and and have a go at him. Whereas now they are, you know, the worst they'll get is well, the worst they get now. Is someone someone on Twitter um, whose name I did not note down mentioned during Mark House's performance in the Liverpool scum match, said, um, I really said, I really hope he's getting all these decisions right, because if he's proved later to be wrong, he'll be relegated to the Championship for the week, <laughs> and we might get him for a game. I'm wondering if that's why Durso turned up for Leeds Forest. Did he, did he committed some minor misdemeanour the week before. I mean, we had to suffer his shit. Well, I, I remember growing up, the, the figures that stand out in my mind were George Courtney as a referee who was very... Well, was he a schoolmaster, actually? And I remember he was very sort of scholarly and... Uh, you David know, Ellery certainly was. Yeah, he well, was, I was yeah. going to come on to him. He was my next one. He was sort of a big hate figure. I know he, he was a schoolmaster, wasn't he, obviously? Yeah. And, and the pair of them just seemed very dislikable in, in a way that, you know young referees now are younger they're not forced to go on as long are they they, they seem like they seem like older men who who were like schoolmasters who just used to ruin everyone's fun and bullies you mean yeah and i remember courtney got so much stick at ellen robin i remember watching him and of course ellery and the famous bloody man united um brian dean tackle on paul into that happened about what was it since we're in the center circle and he gave yeah. a penalty yeah I remember hating him for years for that. And we still beat him, though, didn't we, that day? Who, it's Han Gina that you stole that line from on Facebook, who said that <laughs> Han wrote, uh, in swan dives from practically the halfway line, and that bold C word gives a pen. He's got to be closet scum. But then, conversely, Greg underscore AIC uh, said David Ellery was good to us, even changing into an LUFC training top during, it was a Newcastle game in 1998, when, um, was it the goalkeeper's kit that he was I think it, I think it was just, oh, Didn't just he put general. on a blue, t- it was a blue training top, I'm sure he put yeah, it was a blue Packard bet. Was it Packard Bell in those days? It will have been. Yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and going back to Derso, we've got Cardiff, which was just mm. an absolutely appalling day as a Leeds fan. There were bottles of piss, coins being thrown on a pitch. One of them hit Derso on the head at one point. Yeah, and the game had to be stopped. Crazy bastard didn't give a fuck. He was just yeah. <laughs> taking them all on. <laughs> and you, you had their chairman standing behind the goal encouraging the Cardiff fans to throw things at our goalkeeper, St. Nigel of Martin. (laughs) And you've got Andy Durso, um, Ben referee hating Gershaw, (laughs) says, right, wimping out um, in making any decision against Cardiff. They They were, he was bleeding from the head. He's like, no, nothing's happening. Everything's fine. Just play on. Fingers in ears. Ferdinand went off injured because there were uh, a tackle for him behind that went straight through him. Smith got sent off for holding off someone who was trying to drag him to the ground. That was when Smith and uh, O'Leary had a to-do on the halfway line because they were kind of yelling at each other where O'Leary My memories of this game have entirely evaporated. I can't remember any of this. I remember Sam, Ha- I remember Sam Haman. Every, sec- every second minute. Yeah, I, I that, well, that, was, that, yeah. Was, that was most games, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I saw no, his, particularly for that one. I see he's lost his pace as well since he's come back to the Premiership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been waiting for that, really, haven't we? There was N- always, Nigel yeah. Worthington. It was going to happen one day, wasn't yeah, it? Worthington gliding past him. One, there was going to be one Reading match where it suddenly all just became too good for him. And the, I think, I can't remember who was doing the commentary, but just before, and they'd been saying that, uh, what's he called with the glasses? McDermott. McDermott. They had him... Uh, 
they were talking about him. Oh, he he, he got um, he got Ian back into football and told him, uh, "We know you can defend," and brought the defender back out of him again. And then the next, two minutes later, you've got Aaron Lennon just walking past him with the ball. Yeah. Another but, one that's been mentioned by Christian Lawley on the Facebook page says that uh, Uriah Rennie, terrifying looking man, but none of the ability to back it up. What happened to him? Because he did he not retire due to age, or was he just I, he wasn't old, was he? I don't know. I don't know. Well, his pre-match uh, kung fu warm-up yeah, must yeah. have kept him young. Yeah. Well, think. this is what Christian Lolly says. It always seemed like he wanted to be star of the show, and that's yeah. absolutely true. He, parading up and down, yeah. sort of uh, making a big song and dance. True. Of a it. few referees, and I think we'll inevitably come on to him now. I'm going to say this, but any referee who has a website, Jeff Winter Entertainment, you're referring to here, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Someone's put in the notes here uh, about Jeff Winter. His website looks like a brass eye spoof. Yeah, it does, and and. <laughs> He was forced to withdraw something a while ago. He went on some kind of rant about Celtic and about priests and young boys and things, and then it was quite quickly taken off. Mm, it was a very wide-ranging rant. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Was it, was it a Saturday Night Merlot rant? It, it was just. <laughs> it was just a general sort of prejudice rant. It wasn't. Didn't really seem to have any point to it. He was just going right. I don't like Celtic, and here's why. <laughs> um, but he, he always struck me as a a big-headed yet. Yeah. Idiotic man. Ben Rock. Gershaw's also uh, commented on uh, <laughs> Jeff Winter at Highbury when he sent off. Um, We're going to hear about him in the news eventually, aren't we, Ben <laughs> Gershaw? Yeah. When he goes like on a falling down style yeah. uh, gun spree at the referee's pre season yeah. training camp. Yeah. When Mills and Bowyer were uh, sent off. Mills, quite comically, because he booted the ball against the defender's ass to knock it out for a throw in, which is apparently a buckle offence. Well, we, we often think that um, referees are Leeds haters, and Rob Flitt on Twitter makes a very good point. He said, Jeff Winter. I got his autograph. First of all, Rob, why on God's green earth are you getting bloody Jeff Winter's autograph? But anyway... Why do you want any referee's autograph? I will let it slide for now. Uh, yeah. He's put... And he wrote, we all fucking hate Leeds when he wrote the autograph, which possibly does indicate that uh, the Middlesbrough dweller does indeed hate Leeds. That explains it all, doesn't it? Am I misremembering this? Or was there a referee called Mike Reed? Yeah, there was. Yeah. There, there was. was. It was. Yeah. I'm not just. It used to do. Used just, to do the charts on Radio One. And then, yeah, and then, yeah. I thought he was in EastEnders. Yeah, and Frank. Oh, there's an old one for you, Granddad. <laughs> Frank Butcher with a spinning bow tie. But he once <laughs> celebrated a Liverpool goal against us, which he claimed was. Um, yes, he'd made it, he'd playing, he was happy because he made a good decision. He made a good. He played a good advantage. But <laughs> surely, to anyone, anyone seeing that will have just thought. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Reed, you cheat. <laughs> cheat, Reed. It's incredible to think that that actually happened. I like this one. Um, Neil Masterman on the Facebook page has flipped it on its head, the question a little bit, and he's put Leeds born Mike Riley always seemed to give the scum plenty of dodgy decisions and thus let our city down on numerous occasions. It's one of the things with referees is they're one of the few people involved in football where they still, where they're from, is still given. They always say before the game, Mike Riley brackets from Leeds and yes it's it's a matter of civic pride when these wankers do they still have to show any allegiance I think they referees. have to declare they do yeah. have to declare it don't they yeah, yeah. about anybody they supported when they were younger so yeah. got a combat 18 tattoo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Howard Webb yeah Yorkshire's Howard Webb gets on local news for being refereeing a, a, a World Cup final badly <laughs> well, I always liked um, uh, the dismissive remarks about that it's, like, it's just it, just some copper on holiday <laughs> you know, we, we spoke then about um, not liking refs who are essentially considering themselves celebrity uh, celebrities, but one that always sort of became a celebrity was Pierluigi Colina. Um, but he earned that status by being bloody good at his job. And very bald as well. I think, yeah, I I mean, think it's I think, worth saying, if it, if it wasn't for the way he looked, 
people wouldn't have. He, he, had a, he had a memorable look to him. It's the, the eyes. You're clutching at celeb-friendly straws there, aren't you? <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. If he hadn't had the mad staring eyes and the completely bald pate, then you you know you would have kind of... It's not got Michael very far. I think it worked. I've just got, got eyebrows. Married. He's just got married <laughs> someone, love him. Do you ever, with Mrs. Michael, you know, Pierre Luigi's home... Get your, uh, get your F's outfit on. Um, Whistling at a foul. <laughs> I remember, That's offside. I, uh, Don't go in there. <laughs> I remember... Said Michael. Because <laughs> I remember thinking back to the Champions League semi-final. Did you know that we were in one of those, by the way? We, were, we? In, we, we were in the Champions League. Really? Yes, we were. Seemingly when remember. was that? I can't remember. It's something to do with uh, driving the lame or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. um, but... The Valencia home leg, we had Kalina, didn't we, as the referee for that match. And I remember being a little bit awestruck, thinking, we've got the good one here. We've got a really good referee, and he did. And he, he actually let Bowyer off a stamp, didn't he, which they subsequently UEFA... They got him later. Yeah, yeah. they got him. Said, right, yeah. We'll, we'll punish you. We've got to dick lead somehow. Yeah. So the day before the second yeah, leg. Yeah, let's ban uh, Bowyer, their best player from the uh, from the second leg in the Mestalla. Yeah. We'd already kind of overcome adversity in that with the, uh, the Real Madrid handball as well, which really, that... I mean, that was such a big game playing uh, Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. Upset me as well. That's the one Leeds European away game I've ever been to as well. And look and what I was happened. Robbed. And you could think see. how my life could have panned out. It could, you know, conceivably, it could be the only one you ever go to as well. <laughs> this is stupid because we've only beaten Everton in, a, I don't even know what round it is. But I was thinking, <laughs> it's some shit. If we win this, we'll be in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it happened to Portsmouth. It could happen. Happened to Portsmouth. Birmingham did it. Yeah, I was 16 at the time, so I'm going to say my early adult years, ruined by a referee. The last bit of the Square Ball podcast. Now, let's have a look forward to the things that are coming up and riding this wave of newfound optimism after the two victories that we've just had. We go to Bristol on Saturday, the 29th, uh, followed by our trip away to Bolton on the Tuesday, followed by a visit from the boys from Barnsley on the Saturday after that. Uh, Boys, pick some stuff out of that. Slightly, slightly lacking the glamour, you know. How dare you? Tasted the high life of uh, Fellaini's hair. May I draw your attention first of all to the flurry of alliteration in this set of fixtures? We have Bristol, Bolton, and Barnsley. That's one thing to note. So Bristol, are you two not going, Michael and Dan? For no, your annual, um, well, he's romance? married now, so those days are over. The, 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 uh, the torrid nights in Bristol. I don't have to tell her everything that goes on. <laughs> no, uh, someone who shouldn't tell anybody everything is uh, is down in Bristol now as well. Jody Morris has somehow snuck back into the English leagues, which I'm not not happy about. <laughs> Admittedly, he's barely playing for them, but um, is he is he also in your book of grievances? <laughs> sloppy, <laughs> pass- sloppy passport control, letting him in. Going back to juice slightly. I mean, nobody ever cheered Jody Morris on <laughs> and I would put them in a similar hate-filled bucket. Juve's a better player than Morris. That's Morris true. Is, Morris has easy, never been a very good player. How easily you're persuaded. A little bit of a little bit of twinkle-toed dazzling and a, a big chrome car <laughs> and <laughs> your head's turned. But yeah, that horrible little bastard is uh, somehow, I don't know why why he's even turned up there and I, if I was Neil Cool Kenny, I would leave not just because uh, Jody Morris <laughs> is there. But Tear yeah. up my contract and get the next boat out of there. Well, he seems to be just sitting next to him on the bench. Um, I was looking at Bristol this season so far, and as far as I can tell, they're playing a five-man midfield, but neither Morris or Kilkenny's good enough to get in it. And uh, I was wondering, I wonder why, what's what's so good about these uh, these other 
five midfielders that Kilkenny can't get ahead of them. Between four of them, they've got eight goals. And I think as a team, they've only scored nine. So it's um, it's pretty easy to see why we probably won't see Neil. Juve needs to play well. He needs to back up his uh, his eye-catching performance with a, something more workmanlike. Are um, you saying he shouldn't be as good again? <laughs> <laughs> no, he should prove it. He should prove he can do it again when it counts. Oh, stop a, showing off now. I'm a little bit worried about... Um, oh, you'll go in the book. The state of our team after Tuesday night because there were no substitutions and there was a point when it went to 2-1 and you know you had that feeling of like uh, we're going to lose this 3-2. I think it's called familiarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I, I thought under similar circumstances other managers might have made some changes. There was no could to tell, change. Well I guess there's Partly that, but I don't know if Warnock's kind of giddiness for the glamour of a Premier League scalp might have kind of made it a little bit more difficult to play Bristol and Bolton on Saturday and Tuesday no, than it would otherwise Yeah, would but there's also an argument for dealing with what's in front of you. And I can kind of see the thinking of not making a sub mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily want to put somebody in who's not up to the speed of the game. Like and Varney. Up, yeah. So and they also been. The game, the game being football. Yeah. <laughs> they also had one eye on extra time as well. Brown may have needed to come off. There's no way Brown's going to play two Brown games. I'd leave Brown on. Fuck him. There's no way Brown's going to play two games in a week. He can, he well, no, I mean, I hope he doesn't get anywhere near the team. I mean, I know he played well, but if he turns up against Bristol, I'll be chanting Warnock out. Yeah, so I'm just a little bit worried as to how we're going to how we're gonna react, whether we'll all be knackered or whether it's going to be... I mean, remember when we beat Scum, the next... Seven months of uh, of torrid. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, and this that ended with promotion. So yeah, that's true. That's good. I can see this panning out in a similar way. Um, I guess you could apply this sort of the same principle in a rollover fashion. That if we actually do go to Bristol and we're all right, then we'll have had another game, and then we play on the Tuesday after that. We might be really knackered. We never even mentioned that it was a Tuesday night. No, Tuesday mm-hmm. night at home, and we won against. And really Rahubka was in the ground. Who do what? Who do? Um, but do you think it'll be he, back to he the... do very badly when he plays? <laughs> Indeed. Do you think it'll be back to the bad old ways when we face Bolton? How do we do away on Tuesdays? Billy Payne scored away on a Tuesday once. Anything can happen. Worth considering. Yeah, but we are. And that talking. was in Lancashire too, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Not far from Bolton. Predator. Things to note from Bolton. Then we we did mention before the disgusting combination of ginger hair and pink top. Um, Adam Bogdan in. In Bolton's net. And I don't like, you'll see Askelainen, if he didn't want to play for Bolton anymore, he should have just quit. Don't go and play to West Ham. They're in the Premier League. Yeah, but he shouldn't be playing for them. You'll see Askelainen plays for Bolton. Always has. Always always should. should. Another one for the book. I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to argue against it. Is Kevin Davis still going? Yeah, he's never going to die. Kevin Davis also worries me because he keep he seems to be getting bigger. Because I my I didn't pay much attention to him between signing for Southampton when he suddenly became terrible. And I always remember him as like this nippy little Rod Wallace character, like sniffing out a goal. And then he turned he turned into a barrel. Recent yeah. seasons at Bolton, he's suddenly like six foot five. He's gone through the Andy Gray transformation. Yeah. Exactly. Neither of them were ever this big. Do you think the, the Andy Gray procedure. Yeah. Just pumped him full of hormones and <laughs> protein powder. But now, but like where, a chicken that's never been outside. Where will it end? Will he still be playing for Bolton when he's 50 and he's about 12 feet tall? <laughs> I don't, this is not the future of football. While well, an android pings the ball in his head. So what, the future of football what I we're want. saying is, is essentially a battery farm Davies. That's well, what... I think Bolton might be a battery farm I think in general. They might be breeding they're... him as well. They might be. They might be using him as a stud, <laughs> <laughs> repopulating Bolton with their squad is enormous and, and it's full 
of good players as they are everything that like a club coming down from the Premier League with parachute payments uh, threatens to be. I don't think the results are necessarily showing it. But hang on a second, they've got a huge squad. They've got one hundred trillion pounds worth of debt mm-hmm. and a bit of money. How does all that work then? They got a hotel as well. Yes, yeah, got, yeah. that's how it works. It's that's it. <laughs> that's the secret. Bloody hell! It's a, right onto Barnsley. Let's talk about Barnsley. Uh, oh, must we? We must. We must because that's why we're here this season. <laughs> We're getting Albert Rome back. We we're not losing games, by, or winning games. It must be said as well by many goals. There's this one goal either either way, which I would probably take, whichever way it comes. <laughs> Christ, given, that, given our results, our expectations Barnsley. have been so lowered, haven't they? By <laughs> recent seasons, Barnsley have got um two ex loan Leeds keepers in their ranks, Ben Anik and that Gonzalez guy who we we never really understood why he was here, and I've got a bad feeling that Keith Hill's going to play them both. I think that was going to be his tactic. Two keepers, and then they're going to. Uh, <laughs> I played goalie when goalie yeah. rush. In- inject uh, inject some serum into Mido's thigh so he can finally play for them, and then uh, and that's going to be the tactics. They've got Mido. They, they made a massive deal about getting Mido, who is only I think twenty nine. But um, <laughs> exactly, and then in his first preseason friendly, going off with a hamstring, and he's not been seen since. <laughs> it's very funny. It's. I can't believe they signed him. I had no idea about that. Probably because well, he's not played. Just go to Barnsley. From and, Egypt uh, to Barnsley. What a cultural difference that is. Just check out all the, the Mido shirts that turn up on uh, Saturday the 6th at Elland Road. I presume it's Category A this game because it's against Barnsley. They won't be able to afford those tickets. That's that's like a month's wages. They could afford Mido. They'll have to, they'll have to sell a child each to afford these tickets. Oh, well, no, the, because um, the food bills have been considerably uh, reduced because of just been uh, spreading Mido's blubber on bread. and uh, <laughs> dripping. Good God, let's stop talking about the football matches. So they haven't had to sell any children for food in Barnsley yet this year. Mido shall provide. Quite clearly, um, we need to move on from this. Um, let's talk about the Ken Bates villain of the fortnight. We always start with Ken Bates. Obviously, it's the award is named in his honour, even though we can't win it. Wow. What's his nomination for? Just program notes, radio address, all that shit. Get Ken Bates being back. Don't Ken- call it, he's like yeah. um, LL Cool J. Don't call it a comeback because he never went away. But there he is. So Ken's got his nomination. Who else? Um, Gary Cooper for his... The continued, chairman of LUST. Yes, for his continued, and I would say sustained efforts <laughs> to bully the disabled. I mean, Ken didn't touch on his other crimes. Um we can't really talk about them on this, For legal on reasons, this podcast, I mean, yeah. but you know, they're many. All, all of them hate, hate related. Yes, yeah. yes, very much so. You can tell by their, their sort of official statements that it's, it's dripping from them is the, is the hate. And I think there is no worse hate crime than ignoring a phone call or even allowing it to go to voicemail of a disabled person. I believe what actually happened was that uh, an email was sent, but um, Gary appeared to have missed it in his inbox. Dear That's me. fucking typical. I know. Absolutely. What kind of person? Is that who you want representing That's, Leeds United fans? Well, Ken would say, can't trust email. Fax no. it. Yep. Stick it on a fax. Don't miss that bit of paper, do you? Oh, no. I, th- I think the uh, the email that was sent was sent in good faith. It was sent by a perfectly reasonable transmission uh, method. Gary just irresponsibly and deliberately uh, disregarded it. It's, a sad, it's been a sad week for, uh, for Leeds United fans. I'm ashamed. Sickening. Absolutely sickening. Anybody else that's upset us? Yeah, El Hajjouf, because I want to nominate him because he is making us like him now. I, Moscow. I would also like to nominate him because he's making you like him more than you like me. And I'm a nicer guy. I've always <laughs> liked him more than I like <laughs> you. I don't have a big gold car. and You would if you could, though. No, 
I wouldn't. You're right. Yes, you, you would. I wouldn't have a big bloody you'd gold old, Jeep. You'd have an old Jag with loads of walnut in. Probably you'd have, you'd have a big gold book instead of that. Yeah. It'd be a, it'd be a probably a mid a mid eighties Mercedes. Dan Stroke Oddie. That's not an instruction. It's a nomination <laughs> for their combined efforts at ruining years of good work on the square yeah. ball. Give them one job. One you, job. You mean because I mistyped the cover line on the cover of the recent square ball and Oddie failed to pick it up by proofreading. Proofreading on my phone because it was so late. And why was it late? Where was the uh, where was the artwork being sent from for it to take so long to arrive? Yes, I was on presses? holiday and I had no internet connection. I, okay. In fact, yes, I'd, I'd like to nominate the uh, Wi-Fi service at Centre Parks. They're they're up for my villain of the fortnight award. It's not going to stop you going back next time we've got a deadline, though, is it? Absolutely Scurrying not. Scurrying off every time there's a match to do. Anyway, the safety of Centre Parks. It won't it won't save you in the nuclear war just because it looks like a biodome. <laughs> now you know there's no internet in there. Yeah, but I bet there's internet under my name Square. I can run the country from down there. Who's going to win? I got I got the feeling that it's. Uh, I think I know where this is going. It's the typo fairy, otherwise known as Dan. Well, I mean, generally, that means we've had a pretty good fortnight then if this is the worst we can come up with in terms of villains of the fortnight. The typo fairy, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Her. Okay. Yeah, congratulations to the typo fairy the for... Bitch. Who may or may not be called Gary Cooper. Oh. <laughs> Revealed. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, let's quickly talk about that magazine with the typo on the cover. Quick rundown of its contents. Yeah, it's got lots of good stuff. It's got um, Mark Jackson reappears after years off of the radar from... Um, I thought he was managing Farsley. Um, I think he might have been player manager and um, uh, John Howe was equally bemused to see him again. One thing which is it's almost a shame um, it went to print when it did because we could have added quite a bit to this probably. Um, the the Batesorator, which is a kind of a, a cutout. It's not a sex toy, is it? It sounds like one. It does sound a bit like it. Could be. It's kind of a... You know the fridge poetry where you can cut out the uh, the words and make sentences. It's kind of that a special Bates version, mm. um, so it's based thing, around his program notes. Yeah, yeah. and his and his general his favorite phrases, his ramblings. So there, there could have been a few more a few more words added. Maybe we, we could produce maybe a second edition. That's how these things work. Get the money rolling in. Get the sequel. Yeah, I like the uh, there's an article in there from Wayne at the Beaten Generation who laid out your words Moscow very nicely. Uh, about us being ordinary champions. In yeah, don't give him the credit for the article I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> an article from Wayne. I mean, an article from you that's been laid out by Wayne, but it's very much reminiscent of the kick t-shirts when we were champions, kick yes. sportswear. Anybody which, which Moscow was sporting uh, the other day. Yeah. I'd, he turned um, to the game wearing one. The only, uh, the only person so far, probably ever to write for uh, the square ball whose shirt matched his uh, article, which I was quite um, proud it's a, of. It's a world first, yeah, people. Yeah. It's and a review was, was still um, too big for him. <laughs> yeah, I've had that um, kick 1992 champions all over print T-shirt since I was 12, and it is still too big for me. <laughs> if you I've bought got T-shirts that are two weeks old, that don't fit me. <laughs> Kevin Davis, it's a constant sign. <laughs> if you are wondering, by the way, what these T-shirts look like, just Google pictures of us uh, being champions. Um, Not us. No, yes, <laughs> Leeds us, United. us Leeds United, and you will see them. It's the uh, the t-shirts they're wearing the celebrations, like on the bus parade, wasn't it? Or so. even better, buy the magazine and, uh, oh, and yes, you'll see that fabulous layout that <laughs> yeah, Wayne's done, that Wayne did, and the article that Wayne wrote, which is a review of Dave Simpson's excellent book, uh, The Last Champions. Which um, part of me wanted to just write uh, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book because it is really, really good. But I wrote some unnecessary bollocks about it instead, which is worth reading. There's also uh, some retro stuff in there about f- uh, when floodlights arrived at Ellen Road. We're talking nineteen. 
1950s action there. It's beyond retro. <laughs> yeah, uber retro. And there is stuff in there about Jack Charlton's testimonial as well, which is another, it was a debut for Steve Firth. His first game at Ellen Road was Jack's testimonial as he as he left the club in tears. This is a good issue if you like reading about uh, men looking at, uh, or boys looking at floodlights and crying. <laughs> There's plenty in there for <laughs> As we you. all do. Yeah, you can get that online and you can get subscriptions too from the same place. Have a look at squareball.net. Final chance to shoehorn any other business into the podcast, gents. Uh, we've got to mention um, the passing of um, Andy Williams, who has, uh, it's been announced that, like Andy Sinton, um, has has departed. Um, and both me and Michael had the same initial reactions. Uh, what, the, the right winger that barely played under Wilkinson, his first signing, I think. He's still alive, whereas... Uh, um, Andy Williams, who soundtracked many of Oddie's teenage romances. Passing. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken an hour and a half. <laughs> has, uh, has passed on. So, um, to everybody who, uh, who won Monster the Death of a, a legend of the singing world, but also from a Leeds perspective, looked at it and went, Andy Williams. Oh. <laughs> oh, that one. That Andy Williams. Oh, not that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a, a hat tip to uh, to Andy. Crooner Andy, I think yeah. you describe him, yeah. And with all that said and done, is that the end of the podcast? Forever. Just for now. All right, I'll come Just back in a couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Get in touch with us, podcast at squareball.net. Tweet at the squareball. Facebook us. Uh, just have a look for the squareball. You will find us on there. And I will say goodbye. And also from Michael. See you later. From Moscow. Goodbye. And from Oddy. Goodbye. We will speak to you again in a fortnight. And hopefully, you never know, when this takeover might be done. Yeah. <laughs> Get real. Likely story. We'll speak to you then. Bye-bye. The Squareball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.